This is episode number 10 of Talking Higher Ed, and our guest is Dr. Tom Hart, Commissioner of the USA South Athletic Conference. Tom discusses his career path from coaching professional sports through Division I and Division III institutions to his current role as Commissioner of an NCAA Division III conference in the Southeast. We invite your suggestions for topics and speakers for Talking Higher Ed. Send those to john at genedconsulting.com. That's J-O-H-N at J-E-N-E-D consulting.com. With thanks to producer and engineer Grant Neal, this is John Neal, president of Gened Consulting, and we hope you enjoy this episode of Talking Higher Ed. Tom, thanks for being with us. I will share with everybody, we were a good 10 minutes into this and everything fell apart. So we're starting all over again. Thanks for your patience. You're welcome. It's a pleasure and honor to be here. Thank you. Well, and I appreciate you stopping off on your way from Georgia to St. Louis. You're really going above and beyond on this. Um, I want to move right to sort of the big, uh, big question. You've moved to Georgia. I've moved to Tennessee you've really devoted a lot of your life to um, uh, college athletics, athletics administration. Now you're commissioner of a conference of um, uh, NCAA Division Three schools. Correct. Um, and so, you know, we live in the Southeast where there is big business sports, and then there's the biggest of the big sport uh, programs, which is the Southeastern Conference, or at least that that's everybody's perception of it. So help help me understand when you run into folks and you go, I'm a commissioner of a, of a college uh, uh, sport, a group of, of colleges in a conference, where are the misperceptions or what are the things that people want to talk about to you in, in understanding your work? Right. The Probably the question that, that comes up most often and probably right off the right off the bat has to do with money, and uh, it seems as though everyone's very interested in in, in, in how athletic conferences work, and um, especially in the South with this, with the SEC being so um, visible, people that are under the assumption that well all conferences must really be uh, doing well, and well how, how do you how do you make your money? And um, and how do institutions make their money, or how you know what's the what's the driver for your conference, mm-hmm. as an example? And so, uh, as, as a division, as an NCAA Division three conference, of course, we we are making mo- there, there, there 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 is there is a financial model in place. Mm-hmm. It just doesn't rely on sponsorships or TV contracts, things of that nature. Sure, it has more to do with uh, revenue based off of um, uh, tuition. So a tuition, the tuition that a student athlete um, uh, pays at the Division Three level, uh, student athletes aren't able to receive any athletically related aid. Mm-hmm. All right. So um, all of their scholarships, all of their grants, they are um, very consistent with what a, a typical student at that institution would receive. So they really are. They're extending their playing careers in a sport that they love. And combining that opportunity with actually coming and studying, getting a degree, those kinds of things. Exactly, exactly, and that's why um, the coaches do such a good job um, of recruitment because there's a there's a need to fill rosters. Um, you'll find 
Uh, rosters could vary from a small team, say men's golf, may have seven or eight students, to uh, football may have anywhere from 110 to 160. Sure. So, um, and everything in between. Mm-hmm. And so, as an institution, sometimes you'll find institutions will have um, um, standards or perhaps goals that they're looking for coaches to hit in terms of roster size mm-hmm. um, in order to know that, okay, well, we don't have any problem sponsoring this sport as long as we know that there's enough students coming to the institution to work on a degree, fill the beds, uh, those kinds of things. So, sure, they've got to balance the cost of offering the sport with what kind of revenue that will then generate for them. Does, does it create some pressure on colleges to focus more on the what I would call the big enrollment sports? Uh, having been at some small institutions, I remember one in particular I was president of, my first fall, I remember the opening home game and all of these students come running out on the field. I remember turning my to my wife going, are we Oklahoma? Where did all these players come? I mean, it was just amazing for such a small school. There were so many football players. And, and I would think that sometimes it would be hard to be equitable across the sports when you have some that are generating a lot of student enrollments and others you use golf as a as an example, where it's really just a handful. Right. And in the NCAA, um, especially, uh, speaking from that perspective, um, has expectations that you need to make sure that there's a, a, a number of institutions for, for, uh, for in- enrollment, in- for inst- institutions over a thousand. Mm-hmm. You need to have six men's and six women's in, uh, sports. So that's kind of the, the baseline. If you're under a thousand, you only need to have five okay. of each. But um, so the NCAA wants to make sure that there's that there's um, some sort of breadth, breadth. And, and in fact, in our conference, we've got 19 members, but I think we average uh, about 17 sports per institution. Wow. So um, yes, there are some drivers. Obviously, football being one, where you know, when you can, you may have a, you may have uh, anywhere from 70 to 90 freshmen mm-hmm. who could be football players. Um, one of the one of the challenges there, of course, is the idea of uh, retention. Yes, and then how it's it's one thing to attract them, but then um, if you're looking for a, a stable program in an, in a stable institution in terms of the of the students that are there, you want to try to find a way to retain them, and I think that's the next step that many institutions are trying to figure out. Okay, well, we can draw out, we can attract them, mm-hmm. but are we really doing ourselves any favor if every year we have to attract? 120 yes. football players when if we only had to attract 60, right. would we be better off in the long run? Would it be... <clears throat> I have an observation that the bigger sports that you're constantly recruiting bigger groups of students, so pick on football again, that sometimes it's easier for a particular student athlete to fall through the cracks than it is, I'll go back to golf again, you have seven or eight who are playing and that coach really gets to know every single student and perhaps the retention issue is a little easier when you don't have so many. Do you think that's an overgeneralization to that? I I don't know if it's an overgeneralization. I do think that, you know, studies have shown that students that have at least two 
connections mm. in, in college find a way to be able to remain. Mm. And so when you have ro- smaller roster sizes, the ability to have that connection with a head coach yeah. is perhaps a little... Uh, there, there's a little clear. It's a little cleaner, a little clearer. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you talk about staffing for larger sports, whether it be football, lacrosse, depending on how um, institutions are able to support through staffing, provides an idea about those. Are there true connections that are able to be um, established and fostered? Mm-hmm. Um, because it could be your position coach in football, as an example. Sure. But if your position coach is coaching three different positions and there's and is responsible for 45 people yeah. makes it a little more difficult. Yeah. One of the one of my uh, experiences anyway uh, as a college president is that sometimes in, in certain sports there will be students who they were clearly not division 1 material. They weren't going to be a full scholarship division 1 athlete. Um and they're aware of that, but there's still this little nagging voice in the back of their brain that says, yes, but you're just going to this little college in such and such a place, and you are the best player at this sport in your big high school, so you'll pretty much be starting from the minute you walk on campus. And then they find out, no, there are a lot of people who are quite gifted in this sport, and and that becomes a retention issue. You know, you can say it all you want about the reason we want you here is the contribution you'll make to the community as a college or a university, and y- your goal here is to get your degree and you know to prepare yourself for leadership in life, not starting the first fall that you're on campus. And I, those conversations were more frequent than I would have guessed them to be. Right, and that's one of the things, John, that I love about the Division Three level is for the most part, and I've I I was able to coach for fortunate to coach at the Division One level for a few years and uh, spent a year as an athletic director at the Division Two level. So I've seen kind of the, the, the makeup of the, the mentality that can go into some of these things from some students. I, I don't want to overgeneralize, sure. but, um, but at the Division Three level, for the most part, student athletes have a pretty good idea that they're, because they're, there is no athletically related aid, mm-hmm. they're doing this for the love of the sport. Mm-hmm. They're doing this because they still like to compete. Yeah. Um, and they've, for the most part, probably grown up balancing, learning how to balance academics and athletics in a way that is healthy for them. Yeah. Um, but at the Division One level and at the Division Two level, where athletically related aid were part of the equation, mm-hmm. I, no question that there were times when students felt that they were that they were either entitled or thought that they that they weren't going to have to work yeah and I think that that's the you know one of my, my word of the year John Gordon um, the author has a, a an exercise where at the beginning of the year you, you know you kind of paint a picture with just one word to focus on for the year for my for myself this year it's improvement mm-hmm. and so I often think about um, those students and their ability to realize, well, I'm going to have to continue to improve Mm -hmm. because it isn't going to get any easier out there. (laughs) It isn't getting any easier out there. You know, we're in Nashville and you think about all the great guitarists who think that they're just going to come and and light the place on fire. And then it's, they, then you know, a couple of nights in town realize, 
Oh my! There's a there's a long line of people that they have to get behind. Yeah, exactly. Exactly right. Well, talk to me a little bit about where you're seeing college athletics going, especially in terms of new developments, or maybe they're not even sports that are new, but they're newer to um, college athletics, and it's creating some interesting conversation. A, a couple places that. Um, to, to talk about, I think, as it relates to new or, or how are things evolving in the world of athletics. Uh, at the Division three level, if you look at the, the landscape of the, of the nation and where we are, um, we, I, one of the places that, it, that it's encouraging to me as I look at the South is a, is a fertile land for more Division three institutions. Division three is, has a strong, strong foothold up in the Northeast and in the Midwest, and just the the, the not having as many institutions in the West, it makes it really difficult. I mean, there's a couple of really strong Division three conferences. But the South, and we're, you know, our conference of the USA South has 19 members. And we're continually looking, to, and, and at this point, there's about three different conferences in the South. But as institutions look at the model of enrollment-driven um, institutions and say, well, maybe Division three is the way we need to go, mm-hmm. um, I think that you're going to see a little bit more and more of Globe, you know, big picture now, uh, ten thousand feet. Institutions looking at the NCAA in Division Three, as opposed to perhaps NAI institutions or um, even NCAA Division Two, where it may be a little bit more challenging. So that's one area that I look at it from, a, you know, above and say, okay, that's something that's interesting to me because mm-hmm. it's a dynamic time. Sure. Um, sport to sport. Um, I think that one area, in fact, we had a meeting, uh, the Georgia Commission Association, uh, Commissioners Association met on Monday, and we were talking about some new and different places, and, and Dave Brunk, who's the commissioner of the Sun Belt, uh, Peach Belt, said um, that they're looking at esports wow. and, and looking to have some sort of a, a, a championship as it relates to, uh, to that. Uh, we've got one institution, Averett University, in our, in our conference out of Danville, Virginia. They're looking and looking and starting an e-sport program. So something that's not traditional, hmm. right? And, right? And right now, it's there's going to be conversation about it at the NCAA level. Personally, I believe at the end of the day, it's probably more suited to um, like a competitive um, cheerleading uh-huh. or, you know, it's, it's certainly a, a program that can drive enrollments to an extent, um, but... I'm not sure that the NCAA will end up being involved in it, but clearly it's something that's being looked at right now. Sure, or even just at an organized club sport level. Yeah, but that's still, uh, talk about reaching a completely different, or maybe I'm overgeneralizing, but completely different student profile Mm -hmm. under the heading of sports for an institution. That's really interesting. Yes, Um, so that would be one. And then I think if you look at traditional sports themselves, um, the, and the NCAA does a good job with emerging sports and trying to see where, you know, what are some of the things that are out there. But right now, especially in the South, finding sports that people can add, um, beach volleyball is, mm. is one that's come up. But again, that's, it's, it's hard to envision that sport having a huge impact on enrollment, mm-hmm. right? Because sure. you're, you're looking at, you know, you've got to have three different games going on, but two people in it, maybe eight or nine people on a roster. Right. But it's still something. Um, <laughs> lacrosse, you know, you speak about um, emerging sports. The one that's been interesting to me to watch has been women's lacrosse because people continually talk about how it's growing and it's growing, it's in, which it is. 
but it's almost as if institutions have outpaced the um, the number of students that are actually playing it. Oh, the supply line. Yeah, the supply line yeah. is 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 not quite is uh, mature as it needs to be. Sure. So you end up with programs that have, you know, um, anywhere from 16 to 20, when in reality you'd love to have anywhere from 20 to 26. Sure. That kind of thing. And that's a, that's a, that's a challenge, as well as finding um, enough coaches mm-hmm. that are out there. I mean, you know, if you talk about young professionals, mm-hmm. um, one area, um, there's a couple different areas, but one area that is... Uh, um, a challenge to find, you know, is, 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 is coaches, especially like for a women's lacrosse program, mm. um, that, that have got had years and years of experience at this point, you're finding folks that have just had any experience. Uh, well, that's very true. It makes me think about, um, you know, we're about the same age, although you can de- deny that later. <laughs> I think about back when we were college age, it was still early, early in the whole soccer uh, mm-hmm. uh, endeavor, and while there were a, a number of colleges playing soccer, and it and it was there, it was still um, for small colleges. Soccer was still um, fairly much an introductory sport, not because they didn't want to host it, but they couldn't find enough students who really had a background or coaches who could right. coach it with some authority, as well as teams to play. Yes. Um, and that was when I was back at Webster, um, we, we considered starting men's lacrosse. And one of the biggest challenges with that is, well, and it's not quite the big the challenge now as it may have been 10 years ago, 12 years ago, but who are you going to play? And you'd find yourself traveling from St. Louis to uh, Wisconsin, Ohio. And that you know, and those are the kinds of pieces that when, when it comes time to evaluate, is that a sport that's worth, mm-hmm. you know, worth that back to the value in the, in the um, commitment and the investment necessary, um, it makes it a little bit, not quite as, as much of a slam dunk as, say, a basketball or a, a baseball. That's really interesting. So um, one of the things that we like to do on this uh, podcast is um, talk about the career trajectory. And so um, here you are, commissioner of a conference, Um, And a lot of folks who either aspire to get into um, some formal role in college sports and athletic administration, or that they've started out and they're thinking, wow, I would love to be a commissioner someday. I just think every, and they think maybe that's a straight line that moves, you know, in an upward trajectory. Talk a little bit about your career, how things started, where where did all of that develop? Sure. The, you know, and, and, and many of your guests have talked about how they've never necessarily left college, <laughs> right? I probably fit in that same mold to an, to an extent. Um, the, right after I graduated from Niagara University, upstate New York in uh, 1983, and immediately went to graduate school, uh, Took a little bit of a different turn and, and ended up in San Diego, California. Wow. So uh, went uh, clear across the country to do so, um, and went into a, a, a program, uh, psychology, that um, I, I had maybe one or two classes in in undergrad. I was a, a PE education health uh, major, but wanted to branch out, and and it was very interested in sports psychology at the time, and was fortunate after a year to be in. in, in um, 
uh, able to get into that program. But in the meantime, out at U.S. and I was at U.S. International in San Diego, and uh, two years prior to my going to that institution, I had seen the U.S. International men's basketball team, their Division One program. Uh, play against Syracuse University out of, at the Carrier Dome. So it, it, that was how I kind of even came to know of this this small hmm. school in San Diego. Sure. And um, while out there, um, well, back up real briefly, when I was in doing my um, uh, student teaching, had an opportunity to help the coach of the high school hmm. uh, in basketball. Basketball was the sport I loved it. And... Um, so I had a little bit of background in basketball coaching. So when I went out to U.S. International, uh, when it came time for work study, I just happened to go to the athletic department. And next thing you know, I'm an assistant coach for this NCAA Division I basketball program. Holy cow. And we're traveling. Uh, in fact, this is an interesting time of year because this is right when U.S. International was an, it was an independent, mm-hmm. didn't have a conference. Mm-hmm. So finding games was always a challenge. But sure. I remember I remember going on a, a road trip where we, we left San Diego and went to Arizona State, Kansas State, Air Force, Colorado State, Chicago State, um, Marquette, St. John's, University of Connecticut, um, down into South Carolina and played Liberty, UAB, SMU, and then went home. We were gone for 21 days Holy cow. in a row. And uh, this yeah. is back to the, the, the institution headquarters. Mm-hmm. So the quarter ended at Thanksgiving. And so from Thanksgiving to just about Christmas, this team was on the road. So I'm, I'm 22 and I'm you know taking graduate classes and they, and they had cohorts set up. So it was weekends, mm-hmm. So and the classes were over at that time, so I could travel with the team. But um, typically it was weekends because we were working adults. And this right. is back in the early 80s, mid-80s, so it was... Ahead uh, of its a little time. A little bit ahead of its time, yeah. sure. Yeah. And um, so I got into coaching and was there for three years, went to... Um, uh, left for a junior college and did continue to coach and um, taught. Um, in fact, I... Had the ability, had the opportunity to teach at a maximum security prison. Wow. Uh, sometime on another podcast, we can get into that. But that was we'll a, dig down yeah, on that one. But huh? um, and then and then went uh, took about three years and, and went to coach. Followed the coaching muse to uh, prof- the professional level hmm. in the Continental Basketball Association and, oh, yeah. and did that for about three years. But then decided at the age of thirty, okay, it might be time to get back to my roots. I was fortunate enough to get an assistant's job at um, Webster University. Uh, A year later, I was able to be able to be the head coach. And um, so my entry into uh, college athletic work was through the coaching realm. Two years in at Webster, uh, Betsy Alden, who was the athletic director, left for um, San Francisco State. And I was fortunate enough to be um, named not only the basketball coach, but the AD. Mm -hmm. After about... Five years of doing that, I became pretty evident that it's not necessarily, at least at Webster, it wasn't going to be a healthy, it was going to be very difficult to do. We were growing, we were adding sports, and um, I think that my love for basketball was trumped by my love for student-athletes and the ability to help build a program. Hmm. So, um, but I still had to coach something, so I coached golf. <laughs> you know, for a little, for a couple of years, and then uh, and then finally got to the place where I just coached coaches. Mm. During that time, and this is one of the pieces that I often talk about with 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 um, younger professionals, is the opportunity to 
take take on as much as you can. Yes. Involve yourself. Find ways to um, um, not only meet people but work with people if mm. possible. So two two strategies, two um, opportunities that came my way that helped me. That you know I was planting seeds in the '90s that helped. You know, 20 years later. Uh, one was that our conference, the St. Louis Intercollegiate Athletic Conference, didn't have commissioner at the time. And so you would ha- you'd have athletic directors who served as the commissioner. Mm-hmm. So for two years, I was basically the commissioner and the athletic director. At, you know, while, while I was at Webster, I was also taking care of conference business. And I really, in the back of my mind, thought, I like this. Mm-hmm. I like the opportunity. It's another, it's kind of a larger circle. And so I had the opportunity to um, do that initially back in the 90s. And then I, my, my stint came around again eight years later in the, in the mid-2000s, uh, was able to help build that conference and grow it in certain ways. Um, and then I was also involved with NCAA um, champion, uh, Men's Basketball Championship Committee. So while I, even though I wasn't a coach, I was an athletic director who had been a coach. And so having the opportunity to be on that committee mm-hmm. then opens up many doors as it relates to, you know, just, again, working with people in, a, in, a, in something that matters. And um, had four years there, was able, uh, honored to chair it the last year. And so having an opportunity to be involved with that, I thought was a, uh, an important piece to the seeds that need to be planted for later growth. Uh, and you really, you know, at the time, you don't know that it's not necessarily going to be like that, but I mm-hmm. think it ended up But you don't working. know. I love, um, I, I think I'm going to steal your quote. I, I, I love your insight about, because <clears throat> I, I run into a lot of people who say, you know, I have the degrees, I have, I have the background, and I, I have lots of experience, but they've, they have not stepped out of their comfort zone to try new things, or even if it isn't clear how this thing is going to advance a career, and many times it doesn't, but then you do something and it opens up a whole new horizon for you. And I love your quote about doing something that matters, mm-hmm. um, as opposed to just busy work, right. you know, and I think that's a just a brilliant insight. Um, and I think for one of the things we're hearing on this podcast is folks who say, well, there was this opportunity or I sought out this opportunity, not really knowing where it was going to go. And then, you know, it just moved me to a completely different plateau or different area as a leader. You know, it's funny you mentioned that, John, because the, another, as I think back in my, uh, you know, back, back through the years, another opportunity that came my way was um, the Chamber of Commerce mm-hmm. for Webster Groves. Sure. And, and at one point, the institution needed somebody to be on the board. I raised my hand and said, you know, I'll, I'll give it a shot. A year later, I'm president of the chamber for that year be, just because of some circumstances that had happened. But having that mm-hmm. experience and knowing, not only learning how to work within a business culture as opposed to an academic one, which in many ways there's there's overlap, but in some ways they're a little distinct. Yeah. Um, But also the folks that that I was able to meet and and, and work and and establish relationships with not only helped the institution, the athletic department, but also myself as a young professional. Yeah. So those are are some, um, so you think of those opportunities. Uh, I had an opportunity to teach a freshman seminar. Hmm. Uh, folks that came to me and say, you know, would you be, is there anything that you would like to teach about that may be distinct or different from 
the world of athletics. And of course, I'm, I'm a huge Bruce Springsteen fan. And so <laughs> having the opportunity to, to create a Springsteen, uh, Springsteen's America um, uh, freshman seminar was one that in many ways was able to meet folks through the Springsteen network, to invite them to, to, mm. to, to, to come and speak, those kinds of pieces where you, if, you, if you don't step out there, yeah. you're just never going to um, know what's possible. Well, I, I, that's just a tremendous insight. It really is. So you're at Webster f for quite a while. Mm -hmm. What transitioned you from there? So, yes, I was there for 22 years wow. at, at Webster. Watched the growth from 75 student athletes in eight sports to 225 student athletes in 16 sports. Um, you know, two full-time employees to 12 full-time employees. Just as the institution had growth uh, in development, so did the athletic department. Mm -hmm. And um, but there came a point when it's like, okay, you, you know, you think of your horizons, and and then it's not just about the institution or the department, but you also think about, okay, well, where are we going with our lives? Mm -hmm. um, and, and at the time, I was just turning fifty. My um, my kids were in fifth grade and third grade, and so. There, there comes a time when it's like, okay, well, is it what's the next step or what's what's the next piece of development? You know, back to that word improve. Right? Mm -hmm. Are there other things that can be done? Um, was fortunate enough to um, be offered the position at Barry College in Rome. Um, Barry at the time was just going to Division Three. They were just starting football. They were looking to um, build a facility, um, twenty six thousand acres, just a, an outstanding um, vision mission and. Um, when that when that presented itself, um, it was a it was uh, something that we just thought it, it, it's something you have to take a look at. So went to Barry for um, two years, helped them um, with the establishment of football, um, the, the plans and the building of the facility, added some sports, um, hired some coaches, and so in those two it was it was two short years, but in those years we did quite a bit. Yeah, but realized that perhaps. Um, there was something out. There was something else, you know, that, that from a long-term fit. Um, uh, I, I'm, I'm, I always like to feel like there's places that can that are going to need someone to help them um, ch change direction or, or continue to look ways to solve issues. And to be honest, I mean, Barry didn't have a lot of issues. I mean, they're they're doing things properly and things are moving in the right direction. Um, so I got into some consulting. Uh, did that and helped a couple of institutions from that way. Um, did did work um, at a at Bluefield State. Um, and in fact, it was interesting. The reason I was able to help them out as an interim athletic director was because one of my colleagues from the NCAA basketball committee mm -hmm. 20 years earlier called me up and said, Tom, they just asked me if I'd help them. But I know that this is something that you would be, this would be something you would be ideal mm -hmm. to, to work on, right? So... Um, went to Bluefield State, um, had an opportunity to, to help them stabilize their their, their efforts um, quite a bit. Um, got them in a, in a couple different um, uh, conferences and things that are not really a conference, but a, a, an association. And so you look at the things that seeds you sow, you know, you plant it early, and then it's like, okay, and all of a sudden those are things that will start to help. Right. And then when the, when the opportunity at the USA South came about, 
And this is something I'd, I had known for about two years was going to be coming. It was a, it was a position that they had a, a commissioner who had done an outstanding job and had been on and had been doing that for um, I think fifteen years. And was a, and, and, she, and Rita was looking to, to move in a different direction. And I thought this is something I think would be um, I'd, looking back to my time helping out the St. Louis Intercollegiate Athletic Conference. Thought this would be something that would be up my alley. Mm-hmm. Um, had a couple of colleagues talk about some of the challenges were there, and, and for me, I mean, having never been a commissioner per se, for many people they think, well, how on earth can you be the commissioner of a conference with 19 schools? I mean, I'm, we're having a hard enough time figuring out how to deal with eight. Right. Um, but having never worked with it, it's like <laughs> that's the norm, right? That's, that's the way it's supposed to be. You have 19 schools, and you find ways to. Um, Probably right off the bat, the biggest challenge in, that we worked on and, and worked strategies to improve the conference was communication. Uh-huh. Um, I learned pretty quick, on, pretty quickly that when you put out an email to um, eighteen um, women soccer coaches, all of a sudden you've got people and, and ask a, a relatively, you know, simple question. And now you've got not only a variety of answers, but you've got a variety of ways that they're being answered. Some are answering to all, some are answering just to you. Mm-hmm. Some are some are answering to you, but a reply to that goes to just you. And it, it became pretty evident that we needed to have a communication tool that would um, help supplement uh, or, or uh, drive our um, communication. Mm-hmm. Um, and we were fortunate enough to, I don't know if you ever heard of Basecamp. Um, Basecamp's a, a, it's a project management tool. Oh, nice! And and it, it's it's a uh, dollar a day. So for three hundred and sixty-five dollars, we've got now groups for every sport, every um, you know compliance, athletic directors, and and they have the ability to not only there's a message board, so I can get information out to them. They have a chance to reply. There's a chat. There's a docs and files. There's a calendar. So anything we would need for that group to communicate, um, and so. Uh, that was just one challenge that you think, okay, how can we how can yeah. we make things better for a conference this large? Wow, um, and geographically dispersed too. I mean, you you cover Georgia up through Virginia, right? Yeah, Alabama actually. Oh, uh, in, wow. f- in fact, I'll often I'll, I say A to V. We're not quite A to Z, but we're A to V. Wow, Alabama to Virginia. Um, so it's it, geographically, and and we're not in a conference where there's a lot of airfare or a lot of air travel going on. Mm-hmm. This is all buses vans things of that nature so we, we try we tried to strategize a little bit about um you know divisions uh east and west and try to find ways to, to play schools that are closer to you and then mm-hmm. come together um, in-person meetings uh, once a year they uh, prior to that they hadn't really um done many in-person meetings for coaches but as you and i know i mean when you're when you're this face-to-face is is, is so much more valuable than uh, some sort of conference call where no one's you know you're not sure if people are engaged um, so we try to do that and then bring together um, leadership teams of the athletic directors and the presidents hmm. um, face-to-face uh, twice a year as well just to try to um, continue the conversation and figure out how do we, uh, this is uncharted territory, something this big, how do we make it work uh, in ways that are uh, of value hmm. to the members? Wow. Tom, you've been so um, kind to devote uh, this kind of time, and to start all over again after the <laughs> the technical issues, and it's it's just so instructive to hear your career development, your trajectory, your openness to new opportunities, 
and to step up. I, I really have enjoyed hearing you talk about that, and we wish you continued success as commissioner and in your future endeavors. John, thanks. It's, it's, it's always a pleasure to talk about these uh, the higher education and the, and, and, the, and, the, and the places that we've been and the places we plan to go. Thanks, bud.